Incoming transmission. We interrupt this podcast to bring you breaking news. I'm Aaron. This is Paul. And uh, yeah, uh, we actually recorded this episode almost a week ago, but uh, as we were getting ready to release this week's episode of Star Trek with Aaron and Polly, uh, some news came out that we wanted to make sure and talk to you about now rather than, you know, two weeks or more when we release our next episode. So, Paul, there's some, uh, you know, Patrick Stewart Star Trek news. What? No. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a thing. I mean, uh you know, if you're out there on the on the internets, uh, you can see that an image of Sir Patrick Stewart in his Star Trek clothes is out there. Oh, did, did you see the picture? Star Trek clothing? Yeah, I have seen the picture. In fact, I've seen multiple pictures. Um, there's a picture from another angle that shows the Starfleet uniforms uh, that are very much like uh, next generation uniforms. Next generation yeah. uniforms, not so much like uh, Nemesis uniforms but more yeah. like a the regular series. next generation yeah mm-hmm. yeah and you know he uh stewart seems to not be in a uniform and we were given to understand that he would not be a member of starfleet in this episode but he's wearing a, a rather smart looking uh darkish business suit you know something nice mm-hmm. for, for for getting around the federation in well you know i think uh you know they they have previously previously established that this takes place after the destruction of Romulus. Right. And he is very much in like mourning about his inability to stop that. And I don't remember the comic book, but he was n- not part of Starfleet in that comic book, was he? He was not the, if I recall correctly, he was not the captain of the Enterprise. I believe it was Data. He yeah. was the captain of the Enterprise, uh, which, you know, weird because, you know, Data died in Nemesis. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, if I recall correctly, he was like an ambassador or a diplomat or something. I don't believe he was an admiral. Um, I think he was working in the diplomatic corps at that time. Yeah. But it's been a while since I've read, what was that thing called? That was Star Trek Countdown. So if yes. you're trying to get caught up before the uh, Picard series... You know, the Alex Kurtzman, who is the showrunner on Star Trek and all the Star Trek shows, he's kind of like the Kevin Feige of all these these, uh, Star Trek shows right now. He wrote that Star Trek Countdown uh, series from IDW. You know, I've read that book a couple of times, but it has been several years Mm -hmm. uh, since I've read it. Maybe we need to uh, do a reread for our next episode. Absolutely. In fact, yeah. I would recommend anyone who's listening to this podcast, give it a shot, because it certainly seems like this Picard series is playing off of what happened in that show yeah. or in that comic series, I should say. So we know that uh, from what C- I'm going to say, based on what CBS All Access is telling us, even though Paul and I have our doubts, the new Patrick Stewart Star Trek show will air by the end of 2019. Yeah. I don't believe it. CBS All Access broke my heart several times when <laughs> uh, when they were promising us Discovery. But, you know, it may be, you know, we know that CBS All Access has signed deals to distribute via Amazon Prime outside of North America, right? So, yeah. you know, they're in the U.S., it's, it's going to be on CBS All Access. In Canada, it'll be on the Space Channel. And everywhere else... Amazon Prime, and maybe that commitment with Amazon Prime is you better have your uh, your show ready before the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, so when it comes to CBS All Access is when we'll see it, and we'll certainly have weekly podcasts as it comes out, as you've come to expect with our Discovery coverage. I do think that um, 
I think it's smart to diversify with the international audience. Mm -hmm. I did not realize CBS All Access was pretty much a U.S. thing only. Right. They're 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 trying to build their footprint globally, but that's a slow roll for them. Yeah. But we also learned in the upfronts this week that the title of the show is Star Trek Picard. Um, and now, Paul, you and I talked about that that might be the title of the show uh, some some time ago. And if I recall correctly, you did not care for that show title. I did not. I feel like Star Trek Picard, you know, we've gone from, you know, Star Trek, The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, um, Enterprise, and Discovery. Uh, Discovery. Yeah. Those are ship names. And I guess Picard is, I guess he does, they did establish he does have a ship in this series, I believe. Mm-hmm. Well, but I think I think the reason why those shows were named as they were is because those are sort of ensemble casts, yeah, uh, and really telling the story of those ships. Though I think the case could be made that uh, you know Discovery is really you know Sonequa Martin Green, right? yeah, you know you know Star Trek SMG, <laughs> Star Trek Michael. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think Star Trek Picard, based on what we're seeing, is going to be a very personal journey about this yeah. one man, and I think that's why they they I think I think that's the story reason why it's named that way. But I got to tell you, if you're trying to lure in the next generation friends fans that have sat out. Star Trek Discovery, and who have said, you know, fuck you, CBS All Access. I think the way you get them to buy in is by by putting it out there. This is your Star Trek. This is Star Trek Picard. And yeah. I think I think the the marketing team said, you guys are nuts if we name this anything else other than Star Trek Picard. I mean, it could have been you know Star Trek JLP, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, you know Star Trek Sir Pat Stew. Uh, but you got to make it clear this is the Star Trek for all those guys who love their TNG, but were not willing to bite off on Discovery. And so, I mean, the marketing department, I am certain, was like, "This has got to be Star Trek Picard." God damn it! Yeah, it's a smart decision. I don't love the title, but it is a smart decision, and it has, you know, it is in the teaser, the official name at this point. You know, we haven't, you know, when uh, I think it was Sonequa Martin Green who leaked the title. Yeah. Calling it Star Trek Picard, and they're like, ah, we still haven't decided. Well, they have like the actual CG trailer put together that says Star Trek Picard. Um, so that is the official title. You know, we haven't seen any footage of the series, but we have seen Picard. We've seen the Starfleet uniforms as of the time of the show, which are very much inspired by the next generation. They're the black, um, the black outfits with kind of the colored the shoulder. Shoulders. Yeah, um, aspect of it. They're not. They're more like um, first contact era. Yeah. I do. Prefer. Well, no, first contact. They had the they had the pullover sweaters with the gray. Ah, oh, that's right. That's right. Which was more they're like not, a Deep Space Nine. Uh, yeah. Final season. Yeah. yeah, they're not my favorite uh, Starfleet uniforms, but they'll probably work in the context of the series. Yeah. 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 So, you know, we know, we know who uh, certain actors are. We know that Michelle Hurd is on the show. We know that mm-hmm. Santiago uh, Cabrera is on. Allison Pill, uh, Isa Briones, uh, newcomer Evan Evagora, and uh, Harry Treadway. Uh, but we haven't seen any announcement of any other Next Generation cast members on the show. Well, and I don't think we're going to. Other you than know, Jonathan Frakes as a director. Right. I think that uh, I think they're going to keep this uh, TNG free in the first season. No. I think they no. are. I think they no. are. No. We'll see Crusher in there. Wesley? <laughs> 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 Beverly. <laughs> 
I but feel yeah, like we'll see Beverly Crusher in this series. I, I, I have a feeling. I would really like to see some TNG folks in there. And I think the important thing to note, because we discovered this through our journey with Discovery, that the uh, Star Trek producers are willing to feed us false information, which, yeah. you know, I, I would call lies <laughs> in order to protect their stories. Fake um, news. You know, exactly. Hashtag fake stories. Um, the... I, and I think that's smart because yeah. news gets out. And so we know that all the TNG cast, other than, you know, Patrick Stewart, have all said we've not been approached. And those could be bald face lies. Yeah. Particularly, I, I do think, uh, particularly because it, we know that uh, Marina Sirtis mm-hmm. was on set a number of times during the shooting of Star Trek Discovery. And so maybe she was there to meet with Alex Kurtzman about a role on Star Trek Picard. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was all couched in terms of, oh, I'm there to support my friend Jonathan Frakes, you know, television director. But, uh-huh. uh, you know, it could very well be a whole smokescreen because they're very comfortable lying to us what? about what's going to happen to protect the sec- to, to, to protect the secrecy of the show. And I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a, yeah. I don't have a problem with that um, disinformation campaign. Nor do I. I. I prefer to go into Picard uh, blind. In yeah. fact, you know, I'll watch the first trailer, but as more come on, I won't watch them. Yeah. yeah you know, I know I'm going to watch it. Once I know I'm going to watch something, I don't want to see spoilers. And trailers do spend uh, tend to spoil stuff Yeah, and, uh, at know, some point. I'm the guy who I, I don't care – I don't care what kind of Star Trek it is. I'm going to watch it. Right. I'm that guy. I mean, back when I think we talk about a little bit about this in the podcast that folks are about to hear. uh, But, you know, I'm the guy you put Star Trek on it. I am going to watch that show, even if it means I'm going to bitch about it later on. Uh, You know, Star Trek Nemesis. That's what podcasts are for. That's right. But, you know, there are a whole other slice of fans who, if it's not my Star Trek, Star Trek Next Generation, Star Trek Original Series, what have you, I am not going to watch that other Star Trek. Uh, I know a lot of guys who never left Original Series, you know, who who were like, I'll watch watch the movies, you know, with, uh, you know, the original cast, but that's it. Not getting into any of this next generation Frenchy guy captaining the Enterprise. Not well, going to do think, it. I think part of that is that, you know, unlike Star Wars, Star Wars is one singular story. Like it all ties together, you know, for better or worse. Yeah. Whereas Star Trek are different series set within the same universe. So you can skip Voyager or skip Enterprise and not necessarily miss anything that happened in the context of what you saw in next generation. Right. And so I think that's what star Trek has set up that you do have your enterprise, your star Trek. And I'm sure there are people who have their star Trek being star Trek enterprise, their star Trek being star Trek discovery. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, and, our, our, our friend Wayne from uh, funny books there in Nepali, uh-huh. his star Trek is star Trek enterprise. Loser. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> that is bad. That's like getting into the Star Wars prequel trilogy and be like, oh, I love Jar Jar. Yeah, Phantom Menace is the bitch, y'all. The bitch. <laughs> this is how you know Aaron's not hip. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, I, I'm very much looking forward to Star Trek Picard. I'm looking forward to getting more Star Trek this year. You know, despite CBS All Access announcing that they were looking forward to having Star Trek all year long. I think Star Trek Picard in late, you know, probably Q3, Q4, um, 
late Q3, early Q4 is probably the next Star Trek we're going to see. I don't think we're going to see lower decks until 2020. I think, I think we're going to get some short tracks. You, think, uh, you know, we might. I think we're going to. I think we're going to get some animated short tracks. I think that's what we're going to get. Okay. And you never know. We could get something else. We could get a, you know, we get some animated short tracks. We could also get something non-disco related in the form of a short track. You just never know. They've got so much cooking in the Star Trek franchise. Uh, there's just no telling. You might even get the second episode of our coverage of In a Mirror Darkly. You never know. You Seems never unlikely. know. It could happen. No. Anyway, uh, we're going to return <laughs> you back to your original scheduled podcast. This has been Breaking News with Aaron and Polly. Beep, 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 beep. Star Trek, our favorite frontier. These are the podcasts of Aaron and Polly. Their ongoing mission to explore all things Trek, to seek out cool things and pick them apart. To boldly complain as no one's complained before. I'm Aaron. And this is Paul. And welcome back to Star Trek with Aaron and Polly. You thought you were done with us until at least, I don't know, October, November, whenever Picard started. Oh, you mean 2020? Starts. 2020 is when that's going to happen. It's not starting this year? I thought it was this year. Well, they've said that, but I don't see how in the world they're going to get that on on, on, the, on the skids until uh, uh, 2020. I just, I, it does. Not, it does. Yeah, it's kind of like when they first announced Discovery. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah. First season starts in three months. We haven't yeah. started filming yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, 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 don't, I don't buy it. I'll believe it when I see it. Despite the fact that everybody is aching to see themselves some Picard, so much so that Amazon Prime picked up the Picard series international distribution rights. So, you know, if you live outside of the United States... And you're outside. You're not in Canada because Canada is uh, has it on the Space Channel in Canada. Uh, otherwise, uh, you're stuck with your CBS All Access here in the states. So I'm not familiar with Space Channel. I've heard of it, but is oh. it a paid service or is it like Sci-Fi Channel? I have no idea. I'm not Canadian. I, I thought you were. No. A. Get out. <laughs> get out, you hoser. Hoser. <laughs> See, I don't understand that reference, but I'm oh, sure our, our listeners do. Oh, you see, that's a Bob and Doug McKenzie, Great White North from uh, 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 Second no. City Television. Do it. He's in. Hey, good day. Welcome to the Great White North. I'm Bob McKenzie. This is my brother, Doug. How's it going, Okay, eh? our topic today is the Great White North because we got like, lots of mail. Like, you know, strange. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I remember Strange Brew. It's just been a long, long time since I've seen it. Okay, get out, you hosehead. Uh, <laughs> hosehead. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Eh? Uh, eh, eh, get out, eh? Um, we've, we've offended our three Canadian <laughs> listeners. Yeah, and, you know, the sensibilities of all non-Canadians as well. Ah, uh, ah. So, you know, the reason that we uh, are getting together 
is Paul and I each went out to our respective theaters and saw the Deep Space Nine documentary, What We Left Behind. Uh, For those of you who aren't familiar with with this film, it was uh, crowdfunded via Indiegogo. It uh, reunited not just the cast of the show, but also the crew and writers and producers uh, directors, you know, all the talent involved in the production of Deep Space Nine in its seven year, uh, seven years of, of broadcasting, and uh, you know, talked about what they left behind. You know, what what uh, the show meant to them, what the show meant to people, uh, and uh, it, it was a it was a two hours fourteen minutes by my clock in the yeah. Fathom event. From the time the credits started, from the time the opening creds started rolling, to the time the uh, the roundtable was completed, and it was a, just about a two-hour film. That little roundtable yeah, at fact, the end is about fifteen minutes. Yeah, and the roundtable at the end, you know, they say stay for it. Yeah, you, you didn't need, need to. Stay to. For it. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> it was, it was a, a bunch of guys sitting around talking about the HD upgrades, and I'm just like, okay, yeah. not nearly as interesting as the rest of the film. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the making of the making of. Yeah, and that's what that was. <laughs> um, but but I uh, yeah, say, it was about a two-hour documentary, uh, and there, you know, I I, I showed up mm, ten minutes early. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I didn't want to get there too early uh, because we had reserve seating. Right for for our screening, uh, but I also didn't want to get there too late because sometimes at these Fathom event screenings they have trivia and stuff right before the movie. So um, this one did not. It was a black screen. We didn't even oh. get Maria Menounos for wow, ours. We, we had trivia on ours. They uh, they ran oh, really slide. yeah they ran slides of like you know uh, in the baseball game the Logicians versus the Niners. What was the final score? Oh man, we didn't get any of that. Yeah. Yeah, it was, you know, probably, and it repeated several times, so it was probably five minutes of uh, of of content that they re-ran about three times. Huh. Yeah, that's usually how it goes. Yeah. But uh, it was it was fun, you know, and you could hear people answering in the in the audience, you know. Uh, one of the things that I, you know, I, I, I followed the hashtag on Twitter and, you know, was kind of seeing, you know, as the movie, as I was waiting for the movie to come on, you know, to see what other people's event was like. And other people got posters. I did see that the first certain number of uh, attendees would get posters. But I got to say, like, I didn't see posters or yeah. I mean, nobody, there got were, posters. nobody got there posters were not 100 people in my screening. So I can't and imagine that. nor in mine. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, it was a nicely it was a Monday night for crying out loud. Um, there was a nice turnout. But I mean, I was probably 60 people in our theater. Yeah, I'd say probably you similar. Um, but, you know, I, I'm watching and there's two different types of posters. There's the actual one sheet uh, poster. And it's small, you know, it's like you put it, put it in your locker, right? But uh, it, it's it got, you know, the, the, the Space Station Deep Space Nine with Iris Stephen Bear standing behind it with his hands out. Um, and then there was a spaceship poster for the spaceship that they designed uh, for the, for the you know, uh, Imagined Season 8, you know? They, they had that, mm-hmm. uh, that starship that you see, you know? In, oh, yeah, yeah. But... Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I forget what they called it, but anyway, the the they had that on a poster as well, and I was like, why didn't why didn't I get that? I like things. 
Why can't yeah, I have you know, baseball? Here's the thing. Like, so I walked in and they still had a crap ton of free posters from the Avengers Endgame <laughs> showings. And I looked at it and I looked at it real hard. I'm like, all I'm going to do is throw it away. <laughs> and I feel like I would do much the same with this. I have oh, no, no wall space. Absolutely. Let's not pretend I do. Let's not pretend you do. I, I, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I'm not going to hang it up. I just, I, I like the things. <laughs> I want things I want it, so that I can toss them away. <laughs> I want it to be my choice to throw it away, Paul, not their choice not to give it to me. That's what uh, I want. Fair. Yeah. Fair. I, I, to be I, honestly, I, I'd prefer they just don't give us posters Mm -hmm. like when i went to you know i talked uh last episode i believe maybe two episodes ago about star wars celebration yeah and at a bunch of panels they were handing out posters and i'm like i don't want posters i don't want them like give me (laughs) pins give me something that i give me something else i don't want but smaller and easier to bring home yeah Yeah, give me a ball cap that i'll wear that's right that's right but uh, yeah, so neither of us received any free goodies. Aaron at least got trivia. I did not get trivia. Yeah. But we and, saw and two the, hours and 15 minutes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine goodness. And I'm sorry, you were going to say something. Well, one of the weird things on the – when they were, had the trivia up, we could hear they, – they had the audio channel open. And it was like you could hear what was going on at another screening. You could hear like the crowd milling and whatnot. It was really bizarre. Oh, that's just a thing they do before these Fathom screenings. They play like audience. Oh, so AS- that's that's just a tape. That's not uh, that's not like you're hearing somebody's open mic. No, no, that's what just, it felt like. I was like, what is that? Well, and you'd hear like people shouting in the background, and I mean, yeah, was, no. Okay, th- th- I think this there. may have been my first Fathom event to go to. Uh, no, yeah, uh, Battlestar Galactica uh, Razor was my first one to go to. Holy crap, I forgot about that. Yeah, it was a good one. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the hell out of that. <laughs> so let me just first up say, one of the one of the reasons why uh, this documentary took so long to produce was because mm-hmm. they were uh, taking the standard definition negatives from CBS, about, you know, 22 minutes of, of, of that, and yeah. transferring them to HD, you know, doing the HD upgrade, you know, redoing the colors and all of that. And they open up the the movie shortly after a wonderful musical number with uh, Max Grodenchik, which I don't mm-hmm. know about you, Paul, I was thoroughly amused by and charmed by. Uh, yeah, it was I, fun. I, I thought that was that was a lot of fun. Uh you know, Max Grodenchik having played uh, uh, Nog's dad, uh, Rom. Um, so they, they cut to, you know, this, the giant uh, space battle that we see in during the Dominion War, uh, uh, Sacrifice of Angels, right? And it was stunning on the screen. I mean, when you think that you saw that the first time on standard definition on your 19 inch, you know, uh, you know, Sony Trinitron back in the day and seeing it up on the big screen and big HD glory. I mean, I sat there going, God, I wish this was on an IMAX screen because yeah, it, it, was, was it was beautiful, fucking amazing. And I got to say the uh, all the 22 minutes worth of footage that came from. A vast number of episodes. Of, right, like of 90 Space episodes, Nine. they said. Yeah, like 90 yeah. episodes of D-Space Nine they mined for 22 minutes worth of footage mm-hmm. that they, you know, entirely remastered, which, you know, for, for anyone who's not familiar with the process of remastering, because these are not digital files, they had to go back to the original negatives, reframe them, 
or scan them, mm-hmm. reframe them and recolor them, um, you know, a, a, to match the original footage, but, you know, better. And so a lot of work went into them. And um, it, it certainly shows all 22 minutes are are brilliant. And I will say that's the one thing of that last 15 minutes after the movie that I found beneficial. They, they did show a comparison. Right. And uh, it, it is clearly evident, but n- no more so than in the footage that Aaron's describing. It was amazing. And one of the, the things that I think is just brilliant about what Deep Space Nine did when they shot the show, even though they were they were you know preparing it for a 1993 television audience watching it on their 19 inch Sony Trinitrons, uh, they shot it wide, so the negatives are wide, so that when they go out and you know they they rescanned uh, those negatives for to do give it the HD upgrade. They had there was there's more of the scene revealed because they shot it wide. Um, I that it is just amazing to see. They weren't able to do that with the original series because they didn't shoot it wide. You know when they did that that the Blu-ray upgrade there, but this just looked amazing. Just looked amazing. I was I was, I was stunned at in you know the 1990s how amazing those effect shots look. Absolutely. In fact, you know, we we spoke about the season finale of Star Trek Discovery and how that was just an amazing space battle. Mm-hmm. Um, probably one of the best ones in Star Trek uh, cinematic history. But, you know, revisiting this footage, I was like, OK, wow. Yeah, I had forgotten how what? well done, you know, with the models and all that this really was. Well, and there's that scene where uh, Cisco tells Dax to see if she can plow a hole, you know? And so there's this scene where the, the defiant is essentially just, just flying right above the hull of an enemy ship. And it kind of hops. There's this really just small maneuver and, and you, you never noticed it on the small screen, right? But on the big screen, you see it where it literally just hops over the hull of the other ship. And it is an amazing thing to see. You know, and just that that level of detail was present in the original, even though you really couldn't see that level of detail in standard definition. Again, I could just I could go on about this all day. I promise that I won't. But it was super amazing. And as a proof of frickin concept, I think CBS has what they need to know about uh, you. They've got it. They've got to do an HD upgrade on Deep Space Nine. You know, they described how much effort went into that 22 minutes for this. And uh, I've got to imagine that if a Deep Space Nine remaster was going to happen, it would have happened already. Right. Because the the money they invested in the original series and Next Generation, Mm -hmm. we have heard nothing about a Deep Space Nine remaster. And I think that's the last one they would have to, right? But, you know, uh, Voyager was filmed digitally, if I remember. Maybe not. Maybe it was Enterprise. Enterprise was, yeah. Okay, so they would have to do the same for Voyager. Here's the deal. CBS Mm -hmm. All Access is looking for anything they can to, to make people come over there. And what you do is you remaster it, and you make the HD version only available on CBS All Access. Yeah, for sure. I got to be honest. That would certainly uh, it, it would certainly be cheaper than producing a new Star Trek series. Uh huh. Uh-huh. But would probably and, bring just you know would keep Star Trek fans around. Yep. Well, and, and keep them paying for it, right? Uh, I I just 
I think it would be a crying shame not to remaster this series because I do feel like the, I, you know, I have been uh, rewatching Deep Space Nine lately, and there is so much that you just can't see, you know, and you're aware of it. I guess because we're so hyper aware of the clarity of everything else, you're watching something on SD on your HD HD screen, and you're like, "Well, that looks like crap." I I, I think that it's going to be a barrier for. Uh, new audiences to, to watch it. And they've just witnessed such a resurgence mm-hmm. in the popularity, or I should say a surgence in the popularity yeah. of Deep Space Nine, because I think it's more popular now than it, than it ever was in original uh, broadcast. And that, th- let me just say this. I watched Star Trek Deep Space Nine from, you know, uh, uh, series premiere to series end. I never missed Deep Space Nine. I loved it. Just, you know, I, I had issues with the first two seasons, but I powered through because it was Star Trek. And I remember those days in which there was no Star Trek. So, you know, I, I powered through and I got to the good stuff and, you know, loved it. It's, it, it, it was and is uh, my favorite Star Trek series. So question for you, Paul. Yes. When, when did you approach Deep Space Nine? Uh, from the very beginning. Uh, did you, but I did will you watch say, it all the way through? I did not. And, you know, that's something uh, that this documentary certainly cemented in my mind, which is that um, I did drop off of DS9 at some point. Uh, I, I will say they they one of the I don't want to say faults, but one of the gaps in the documentary that I wish they had explored more was the comparisons with Babylon 5. Which was airing at the same time. Um, They briefly mentioned it, but just very briefly in in one sentence. Um, But it it was very much a battle of the two. And I stuck with Babylon 5. I did drop out of DS9 at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, part of that is the fact that, you know, they they very much mentioned the, the concept of serialized television in this. However, also the fact that the show was in syndication. So it was inconsistently aired different times episodes not necessarily aired in order things like that um so it was tricky for me to keep up on and it aired at a time where in my life where we're talking mid 90s mm-hmm. right it was like 92 to 99 i believe that uh, deep space nine aired you know for me that was high school college right so it was tricky for me to keep up on um you know i, I did eventually at some point get we see all of it. Um, you know, it, it, I had, I remembered, um, Esri Dax, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the replacement Dax. Um, I remember that it happened. I did not remember the actress's face until they re, you know, went over that part in the documentary. So it was nice to revisit that aspect of it. But, um, I do love deep space nine, but it, funny enough, um, I remember the main story beats, but not necessarily all the throughputs. And so, you know, having some of that stuff reminded to me was was beneficial for the documentary. I uh, really appreciated the loving manner in which the the you know the show was presented and handled. Um, but I gotta say, I bumped every time it came on screen. Ira Stephen Bears blue beard. What the hell is that? What the holy fuck is that about? <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, I... I uh, uh, that oof. dude is minimum in his mid-50s. Uh-huh, yeah. What is with the blue beard? Yeah, stop that shit, man. Yeah. It's crazy. It's, it's, it's crazy not okay. Thing. It doesn't look at, it at all okay. 
Yeah. Yeah. And well, and his, I, every time I have ever seen him photographed, he's always got sunglasses on. Yeah. And, and the hat, you know, and I just, it reminds me of, uh, do you remember from the Sopranos, Joey Pants? Yeah. And, you know, he's, he's that same kind of guy, you know, in real life. And that just always annoys me. I mean, Ira Bear seems like a nice guy, but boy, the way he dresses bothers the hell out of me. (laughs) And that's one thing I will say about this documentary. Um, And I did overall enjoy it. Uh, but, you know, they mention in the making of the making of uh, um, that, you know, he was approached about being, you know, the the producer, I believe, had worked with William Shatner on his two Star Trek documentaries. And William Shatner was like, OK, I'm done with Star Trek documentaries. And the guy said, well, do you mind if I approach someone else on doing a Deep Space Nine documentary? Shatner said, OK. He approached Ira Stephen Bear to be basically the William Shatner of this documentary. He was, you know, uh, William Shatner did that that captain's captain's chair, captain's yeah. something, captain's log yeah. uh, documentary, and after and that, chaos on, he did chaos on the bridge as well, and mm-hmm. several others. And so he, you know, uh, he approached this guy to be, and they. This is an exact quote: "To be the William Shatner of this documentary." Right. And I got to say, I don't dislike Ira Stephen Bear. He does not have the same uh, engagement yeah, it, for me as Shatner does. Well, and I got to say, it, it's different because in most of the Star Trek documentaries that Shatner's done, it's not about original series. It's about other aspects of Star Trek. And you know he has r- literally no experience with those other iterations of Star Trek. He knows what he was in. And so he doesn't have a lot of... of uh, of agency in the telling of those documentaries. It's just William Shatner off being an interviewer. And don't get me wrong. I think, I think Shatner is actually a really good interviewer. I don't know if you ever saw his talk show that he had for a while, but he's actually really good. He's gifted at that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, he's, I agree. He's good I think at he's, ta- you know, from that standpoint, he, yeah. I think <laughs> William Shatner reminds me of my dad a little bit in that he just, he just asks questions. He's very sincere. He's like, but why? You right. know, he like yeah. you, 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 you kind of get this genuine interest from him. Yeah. Are you saying that your father's William Shatner? My dad kind of looks like, like William Shatner. Just putting that out there. <laughs> so, but then again, uh, don't all dads look like William Shatner? <laughs> <laughs> true. True. So, but I, but I do think what Ira Stephen Bear brings to the mix is the fact that he was there. You know, and he he wasn't just a guy there. He was one of the main writers of uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So I think that that him being present throughout the film and asking questions and commenting, I think, brought something very intimate uh, to the storytelling. It certainly brought a a level of familiarity, right? Like of of like, okay, or, or authority to it. Like, okay, he was there. Yeah. You know, they they know. Now, I, I in my head, particularly if you're a writer, I don't expect the the actors to remember this stuff. But you know, if you're the guy who's sitting in the room, hovering over the keyboard, I really expect that you're going to remember all the nuance of the world that you created. And there is a brilliant scene of all the writers sitting around talking about you know where we left characters. And, you know, talking about, uh, well, well, how did that happen? How did, how did, uh, how did Esri, you know, get the symbiont? You know, well, she and Dax were on the same ship together. Were they? I don't think so. I mean, (laughs) 
yeah, pretty a pretty big story moment in Deep Space Nine, and these guys are like, I, I don't know, I don't know, and they're trying to figure out how to spell Chronos. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, some yeah. of those moments. Uh, so, in the documentary, there's basically two throughputs or story threads. There's this kind of reminiscing remembering deep space nine and it goes over key elements that happened throughout the years both the initial reaction to the show as well as the introduction of esri dax and the introduction of Worf and the dominion war and things like that and so they go over those aspects but simultaneously they also piece together this writer's room that ira stephen bear put together that featured ronald d moore and a couple of the other key writers from deep space nine Mm -hmm. and they take one day and they are trying to break story on the season premiere of deep space nine season eight which takes place 20 years after right so it's not the next year it's 20 years after season seven exactly and I got to tell you, I was very interested in the story they were telling. And I don't want to spoil anything because this is coming out on Blu-ray on August 6th. So I don't want to spoil that that reveal for oh, me. Because I, I kind of do. I, there's an p- aspect. I, I guess we'll talk about it offline. Okay. I just you know, I want, I want, to, I want to leave people with, with some juice here. Can we put a little spoiler warning and talk about something for 30 seconds? Okay. Spoiler warnings on. Spoilers. All right. Skip ahead two minutes Okay, if, you're, if you don't want to spoil this. So – one of the things they discuss in that um, season eight uh, pilot or whatever mm-hmm. premiere 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 is that section thirty one is responsible responsible for the dissolution of religion, mm-hmm. like on Earth. And I right. really didn't like that story thread. <laughs> I was like, that seems like completely against the fact that hum- humanity itself has moved beyond religion to this, you know, common goodness that gene roddenberry set up so i was like oh i really don't like that twist really See, don't I like did. that you did. I did yeah i did like that twist ah uh, i didn't because i i've always had a problem with with that there's no uh religion on earth i can understand that religion might you know uh have dwindled but i think there's always going to be religion and i i you know of some of some shape or form and it's always bothered me that, you know, Roddenberry was so rigid on that. And that's yeah. one of the reasons I enjoy Deep Space Nine so much. And they talk about this in the film, that it is very much about science and facts and learning the truth. But it's also about faith and the supernatural. Uh, and that's one of the things that, that, you know, that spirit journey that, uh, you know, Kira is on her entire life. But also that someone who is... Uh, to use the term atheist, you know, non-believing as Cisco, who becomes indoctrinated in that faith. I, I just, I, I, that's one of the things that I love about Deep Space Nine, is that it is not, you know, just, you know, rigid science and logical. That that there are, you know, things beyond our ken, uh, even though we we call them wormhole aliens, and you know, Bajorans call them gods. Yeah, I mean, I so. Spoiler warnings are off. We won't we won't revisit that story point. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think uh, Deep Space Nine definitely sets itself apart from other Star Trek series, and they talk about that. They talk about yeah, um, you know the the character interactions. It's all about the characters. Where's the space section? Where's the exploration? And um, and that kind of thing. For, well, for- and and throughout the film, they read emails that people wrote complaining about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. 
you know, and you know that that it's a cheap Babylon Five ripoff, and you know, uh, you guys must hate yourselves. <laughs> you know, I mean, just really horrible things that the internet was saying. Even though back in compared to today, not nearly so bad. Those are no. almost like love letters from the internet. <laughs> well, and what's funny, you know, that they they reference in here um, is that there are aspects of Deep Space Nine that wouldn't work today. Uh, you know, and, and but the main aspect of that is is Kira, you know, right. Kira by today's standards, you know, and back then they referred to her as a freedom fighter, but ultimately she's a terrorist, mm-hmm. um, or has been a terrorist. But you know, the one of and I won't go into this, but you know, they certainly revi- revisit that in the concept of of the season eight premiere, which I will say, the writers' room aspect, the season eight thing, one my favorite part of the documentary, uh-huh. two. I hope it inspires something because I really want to see where that story goes. Um, You know, but they do talk about how certain aspects of the show just really wouldn't work with today's audiences. They would be more applicable to today's audiences. It was almost ahead of its time, Um, but it's almost too controversial and they wouldn't get it past producers, Mm -hmm. especially since this is pre 9-11, you know, um, yeah, and, you know, it's something I, I really hadn't thought about until the, the film, you know, put that idea forward. I, you legit, I don't know what they would have done if Deep Space Nine was in production when, when September 11th happened. Because there was so much of Kira, I mean, it, even in, in season seven, in the, in the final battles on Cardassia, she's teaching the Cardassians how to be terrorists. And she's, yeah. there's, they even show part of this scene in the film where she's explaining to Damar that, yeah, it sucks that you're going to have to blow up that warehouse with some good, you know, civilian, uh, uh, Cardassians in it, but they're not with you. They're not, and if they're not working with you, they're working against you and they are collateral damage. And you're, you're just like, wow, you could not, you could not do that today in a, in a brand new production. No, not at all. Yeah, and so there's very interesting aspects of this documentary, and and I think um, you know Aaron and I briefly chatted offline this morning, and I kept saying save it for the show, save it for the show, <laughs> um, because you you genuinely love this documentary. Oh yeah, I thought it was brilliant, and I think that was the word I used with you this morning. It is. I thought it was brilliant. I thought that they number one they they hit all my feels while still. Uh, Telling a, a, an interesting story, and this is something I didn't share with you. I took Suzanne, my wife, with me, and oh. she is not a Star Trek fan any shape or form. She does not watch Star Trek. It's not something she enjoys. She doesn't begrudge my enjoyment of it, but she didn't want any part of the Star Trek stuff. But when I when I said, hey, I'm going to go to this movie on Monday night. You want to come with? She said, sure. And I'm like, now it's a Star Trek documentary. It's going to be people talking about Star Trek. You sure you want to do that? She goes, yeah, sure, I'll go. I'm like, really? Because, you know, what I didn't want to hear is is her sitting next to me in the movie going, <sighs> you know what I'm saying? I didn't, yeah, I didn't want I to, to hear the, the boredom and disappointment. And I'm like, you can't turn your phone on. I don't want you bringing your iPad with you. If you're going to be there, you got to watch the movie. <laughs> and you got to be quiet. Leave me alone. And uh, she, at one point, I heard her laughing. Huh. You know, she there there were several laugh out loud moments in the film, particularly when uh, uh, someone's reacting to what is an event that occurs in the season eight planning. 
And I mean, there was a lot of laughter uh, from, from Suzanne. And so after the end of the movie, I said, I said, so it sounded like you were enjoying it. And she goes, oh, yeah, I thought it was great. And I said, really? And she goes, yeah, it was very entertaining. And I said, so do you want to watch some Deep Space Nine now? No, no, I sure don't. I said, because, you know, if you like the documentary, you might find that you like Deep Space Nine. She goes, no, I don't think that's true. (laughs) (laughs) So it it did not bring anybody new to the fold, but at least, you know, the the money spent on her ticket was not wasted because she actually enjoyed the documentary. Huh. Well, that's good. You know, I um I will say I I did genuinely enjoy the documentary. For me, the uh, aspects of it that I enjoyed were very much the season eight writers' room. Yeah. Um, I guess part of it is you know they 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 mentioned that it basically took as long to make this documentary as it took to make all seven seasons right. of D Space Nine. It it took a solid six years, I think. Um from I think it was five or six. Yeah, five or six from when it started to, you know, when it ended. Or when it premiered. Well um, and I that think it was first year. mentioned in 2012, 2013. Yeah. And that, that that last year, the reason why you didn't get to see this last year and you're watching you're gonna watch it this year is because they decided you know, we're not just gonna do five minutes of of H D, we're gonna do twenty two minutes of H D. But you know, talking about things that, that I was disappointed in, don't get me wrong, loved it, thought it was brilliant. I'm gonna own it on, on Blu ray when it comes out August sixth. I thought there needed to be more conversation with Michael Dorn. He is in it a very small amount of time. Um, Avery Brooks, all of his interviews were, were taken from other sources. He did not participate in this documentary. Yeah, I did catch that. Um, you know, they shot him at a convention. They shot him backstage somewhere. But it was not like they sat down with Avery Brooks for that. And if you if you look closely, if you're a fan, you've seen those interviews before. Um, I, I would have really enjoyed seeing some things more highly detailed in the storytelling of Deep Space Nine, like the marriage yeah. of Worf and Dax. I, you know, I feel my, and that, that was actually going to be something I was going to say. As much as I enjoyed the documentary, um, it is very much a documentary about the human experience of Deep Space, of Deep Space Nine, not so much the making right. of Deep Space Nine. You don't know right. why certain decisions were made. You know why the actors feel they were made or how the actors right. felt about Worf being brought in or, or Terry Farrell and her decision to leave the show. But you don't necessarily know why those decisions were made or the production behind those decisions. And I feel like, again, as a two hour documentary, I don't know that it could be longer, but I certainly, I, I love the technical aspects. I love the behind yeah. the scenes stuff. And this was very much a human documentary. It was. It was. And talking about how uh, progressive the show was, particularly in terms of the depiction of, of African-Americans on television, you know, and talking about, you know, there, there, there was a conversation in the film about how back in the day you would never have, you know, two black people having a conversation without a white person there on the screen. And, you know, they cut to, you know, a scene with Ben Sisko, Joe Sisko, uh, uh, Jake Sisko, you know, you got these three three black men all having a conversation. You got a black man leading the cast of this show. You've got you know uh, Michael Dorn playing Worf, who's another black man. Jake Sisko played by uh, 
forget his name all of a sudden. But, you know, uh, Jake Sisko uh, was played by Sirach Lofton. The Lofton. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, just this large, you know, African-American cast, Penny Johnson, uh, you know, you, you uh, and I love, you know, Joe Sisko was was played by uh, uh, played Admiral Cartwright in uh, Star Trek six. Um, you know, so he's, you know, he's, he's got a, a history on Brock on, Peters. Uh, thank you, Brock Peters. And he was also the voice of Darth Vader in the NPR radio show. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, major sci-fi street creds. Long story short, you know, Deep Space Nine was very progressive. And one of the things I was highly amused by, you know, so here are, you know, you, you, Avery Brooks, who's just, you know, a powerful actor, weird as shit. But, you know, a powerful actor. And I loved him as a man called Hawk. I loved, loved him in, uh, uh, what was it, Vegas? Uh, Spencer for Hire that he was on. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, so I, I loved him in that. I loved him in his own show. Uh, I, you know, I love him on Deep Space Nine. You know, a powerful actor. You've got, you know, all of this dynamic. Uh, you know, and, and, and Avery Brooks tells you that, you know, he is all about being able to tell the story of a black man raising his son because you just don't see that on TV. Um, and, you know, you've got the, this whole, you know, uh, African-American family dynamic going on. And then you cut to the writer's room, which could not be more white and more male. And, you know, the, 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 we see so much in the film about all of the woman forward storylines, Dax and Kira, and, uh, et cetera. And, you know, again, you cut back to the writer's room, white and male. Telling very progressive stories about black men, yeah. telling very progressive stories about women. Writer's room is white and male. <laughs> Just cracks me up because you'd never put a writer's room together like that today. Yeah. And, you know, they talked about um, gender, gender, gender politics, identity, gender identity. Yeah. And, you know, they, they, they have quite a few minutes on gender identity and Dax and all that stuff. And, you know, um, Iris Stephen Bear says, hey, you know, we, we really could have done more for that. And so, you know, there's a couple minutes which are, for me, a little bit groan-inducing um, of the couple minutes where he's like, oh, we could have done so much more. We could have done so oh, much yeah, more. yeah, because it's so scripted. Everything else is so off the cuff, and that is so scripted. Yeah, there are definitely a couple yeah. moments that are just very scripted. There's that, and there's a scene where he gets a phone call from um, the actor who plays uh, – Yeah, Andrew Robinson and, who plays Garrick. Yeah, who plays Garrick. And, uh, you know, there the scripted moments are grown-inducing. Um, yeah. You know, I, I – I, I almost prefer that they were removed from the film because they don't add anything to it, especially this scene. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I will say, you know, there is an argument that's made in the film that Garrick was gay and I'm sorry, I don't see it. <laughs> Even though they had the scene where he's touching, uh, you know, Dr. Uh, Bashir on the shoulders and whatnot and sort of massaging his shoulders. Yeah. Um, you know, of course taken out of context, but you know, I'm just like, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, that's not the, imp- I never got that impression. You no, know, I got I the impression got he was hiding impression. something, of course. Yes. And that he was, he was slippery as an eel. Right. But, uh, I, I, I love Garrick. Not that I wouldn't love Garrick if he wasn't gay, but, uh, or if he was gay, but, uh, I, I just, I've never saw that in his character. Yeah, I agree. So I disagree with that. And, you know, they kind of say that with a wink, but I kind of felt like they were trying to say, yeah, he was. He was actually gay. And I'm like, "Uh, then you needed to put that on the screen because, you know, it was not on the screen. So did you contribute to this Indiegogo? I did not. Um, I did not. I, I looked for your name. Yeah, it was during that period where I was very angry 
about uh, support crowd crowdsourcing film. Um, and so I was, a fr- I should have known better that, you know, if, if the talent associated with it was what, you know, I should have looked at the talent associated with it and known that it was going to be produced, but, uh, I, I was concerned about it. I will say, you know, I, I got burned on the whole, uh, you know, the life and death of Superman, you know, what happened, um, thing, thing by what was the guy's name? Shot Schmidt, whatever his name was. Yeah. Uh, uh where he just kept screwing his Kickstarters, you know, I mean, just kept screwing them and kept coming back for finishing funds and then showed it around the, uh, the art festivals before he ever showed it to his backers. Let me tell you, if you were a, a, a backer to this initiative, you really got rewarded because they did make available a site for you to see it before anybody else saw it. Um, and they're, you know, you, they spend a lot of time appreciating the backers in this film. In fact, I love how they spent some time talking during the credits about the backers and making the credit role actually valuable to you, you know, because there's a lot of names that got rolled across that screen. A lot of names. Yeah, but, but I no, will say I, one I, of the things that I definitely got the impression of is that this saw significant delays as well. It did, but I think that the the delays were legit. And, you know, I would not have had the problem with the delays on the life and death of Superman, what happened, if I had gotten to see the film before it got released to the festival circuit. And that was my big objection, is you don't get to show a film before you show it to your producers. And that's what you are when you fund one of those things through, through, through a crowdsourcing initiative. You are a producer. You have a right to see that film before anybody else does. And that's what he did wrong, in my opinion. And I think that's what these guys did right, is that you know, they made it available for, uh, you know, for a brief time. I think it was available for like 96 hours, the site. So you, know, you had like a four-day period to go in and watch the show. Huh. I did not know that. You know, I didn't follow this. But, you know, as as far as Indie Go go, but I I enjoyed the movie. Um I thought it was time well spent. Uh yeah. you know, when it does come out on DVD or Blu-ray, I'd have to see. You know, they certainly make reference to a number of um special features. Special features. Like Trouble with Tribbles, I think the the Wharf and Dax wedding. Yeah. Uh, things like that they're going to talk about. But yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there was a lot they didn't get to talk about. I will say, I want to add one thing before we go. You know, we talked about uh, you know Terry Farrell talking about uh, why she left the show. I found it really interesting. Twenty years since she left the show, and she is still so emotionally raw. Yeah, I did catch that about what happened. I mean, I was like, wow, in tears. You know, yeah, yeah, and shaking. And you could tell how uncomfortable all of her her castmates were. You know, she just seemed really upset about it. Um, so, and congratulations to Terry Farrell, by the way. She recently uh, married Adam Nimoy. Yeah, uh, Leonard, Leonard's boy. Yeah. So, you know, uh, before we wrap up as as a show, not necessarily in relation to the documentary, which it sounds like we both enjoyed. Um, one of the things in the documentary that I found interesting was it did give a peek into Star Trek Las Vegas. Yes. I feel like I need to go to that at some point. And I yeah, felt that way for a while, but Same watching here. it, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's crazy. It's I, huge. I do need to attend that at some point. And this year, I don't know that the reality of it. It's in 
early November, I believe, in Las Vegas, and I'll, I'll I will be there in mid November for for um, a different event. So I don't I don't know that I'm going to Vegas twice in one month, um, yeah. but I, I certainly no, do we think gotta I go. want to attend. We gotta go. I notice you're not saying we. I, I hear you saying I. Oh yeah, I no, like no, we, we, like you, yeah, we. I, mean, I feel like you want to take your special friend. Oh, <laughs> you're my special friend, Aaron. You're gonna take Garrick, aren't you? <laughs> Isn't Aaron really Garrick though? Don't you yeah, see yeah. Aaron like walking up to you with the the out of context shoulder with, rub, with the, the leery looks and the shoulder rubs? I think yeah, that's Aaron. Garen, you're Garen. <laughs> that's right. I'm Garen. So, uh, you know, we'd lo- if you saw it, we'd love to know what you thought. Give us a call, 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the show, you'll want a coveted, valuable Ideology of Madness surprise. You can also hit us up on Instagram at IOMGeek, Twitter at Ideology Madness, or Facebook, IOMGeek, and leave us your feedback there. Excellent. Well, next time, guys, I'm sure we'll we'll be back in another uh, couple of weeks to talk about some Star Trek comic books, maybe, and news, and who knows what all. We're going to talk about we're, – we're not even going to talk about Star Trek next time you hear from us. Are, are, we're not? We're going to talk about wrestling? Oh, I hadn't considered that. I, I was just going <laughs> to navigate them to funny books with Aaron and Polly, but, you know. Oh, okay. We, we, I guess, you know what we could do is we could, we could be the podcast about the podcast. Oh, the podcast behind the podcast behind the podcast. Exactly. Done. Exactly. We could get a little meta on this show. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Star Trek with Aaron and Polly is a production of IOMGeek.com. Have a question or comment? Hailing frequencies are open at 972-763-5903. Tribble wrangling provided by... Triskelion Trays. No troublesome tribbles. Mr. Aponte's wardrobe provided courtesy of Garrick's Clothiers. Conveniently located on the promenade. So that's our topic for today. So good day. What an education, eh? Say good day. Good day. I didn't like that topic. Yeah, well, it's about time that we... It about time. It take off.